When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Most of us are familiar with the term genie. It's a pretty simple concept. You find a magical lamp, you rub said lamp, and then a weird cryptic spirit comes out and tells you they will grant you three wishes. Sounds too good to be true, and that's because it is. Most of the time you'll either end up dead or in a worse situation than before. Modern day genie can be rather unhelpful and outright strange characters, but even they pale in comparison to the original stories and legends. The westernized term genie comes from the Arabic word jinn, ancient spirits and demons who bring a whole new meaning to the phrase be careful what you wish for. Legends of Jinn are most commonly associated with Islamic myth and stories even older in the Arabian Peninsula, however entities similar to the Jinn appear all throughout the world. In Islamic tradition, the term Jinn is used as a collective to refer to any group of supernatural creatures. It can also be used to refer to a specific creature. For example, you may have a piece of work about a Jinn. Or you may have a group of miscellaneous demons and spirits that are referred to as jinn or jinn communities. Like demons, they can be evil, but in some stories jinn are benevolent. They are summoned and bound by a sorcerer, not too different from the stories of genie. Before Islamic belief, a group of Middle Eastern scholars described jinn as evil spirits who reside in the desert and unclean places. They would disguise themselves to passers-by as animals. Others believe the jinn were closer to deities, and as a result they were worshipped. When Islam became the religion of choice, these deities may have been perceived as having pagan influences, and thus they played a much smaller role in everyday life. Despite once being seen as deities, they were never considered immortal or invincible, there are notions of armed men being able to kill a jinn. They are, however, mostly just theories, as jinn could not only shapeshift but also turn invisible, so good luck trying to kill something you can't even see. Jinn were also considered the spreaders of disease and mental illness. They could possess one's mind and body. As we move into scripture, the overall stature of the jinn changes. In the story of Solomon, jinn were spirits of nature, similar to the previous pagan deities. Solomon was gifted the power to talk to animals and spirits, and thus he was able to rein in the unruly jinn and command them to help build the first temple in ancient Jerusalem. In the Quran itself, the jinn are mentioned a grand total of 29 times. Most of this occurs in the 72nd chapter, titled Al-Jinn, or the Jinn. 
In order to maintain the notion of there being only one true god, the jinn shift from deities to lesser spirits, who in terms of hierarchy in relation to god are roughly level with humans, meaning they are subject to his judgement in death. They exist somewhere in between our realm and the spectral realm. In one hadith the jinn are divided into three distinct groups. Jinn who fly through the air, Jinn who could take the shape of dogs and snakes, and Jinn who travel in the same way as humans. Scholars have interpreted the Quran's use of Jinn to mean one of two things, an entity or being that exists in a plane invisible to humans, therefore we can categorise angels and demons as Jinn, but not every Jinn is an angel or demon. You then have a description that paints them in a light similar to humans. Jinn were created from a smokeless fire and inhabited the earth before Adam and the first humans. They were faster and stronger, but they still lived like humans in many ways. They still had to eat, sleep and drink, and when they died they would be sent to heaven or hell depending on their actions. They were also divided into separate tribes, with each one being created from a different mixture of fire. Wars between light and dark, angelic and demonic jinn occurred quite often. It even became common to explain violent storms as warring tribes of jinn. Invisible to the human eye, these storms represented the chaos and aftermath of these battles. This conflict can also be explained by taking a look at another traditional story, which tells us why the jinn may have disappeared. The angels were created on Wednesday, the jinn on a Thursday, and a thousand years later humans on a Friday. These three races coexisted peacefully, until corruption, violence and greed overcame the jinn. The warnings of God were ignored, and he was given no choice but to send the angels to purge the jinn. Most of them subsequently died, and the few jinn that did survive were exiled from earth. These traditions involving jinn spread across more than just Arabia, reaching Turkey, North Africa and even the Balkans. In Morocco exorcisms were performed for those who were thought to be possessed by a jinn, however they couldn't just possess anyone. They would target people whom they considered vulnerable, often referred to as a tired soul. Someone who was unhappy, mentally unstable, or just depressed, hence the association with jinn and mental illness. Another widespread belief is that the jinn live underground, where they plot and scheme against humanity. They surface only to spread illness and cause harm to those who mistreat others. This extends to possession and kidnapping children. In this case, the jinn exist as a moral lesson or reminder. So how did we go from jinn to genie? The most obvious example being the genie in Disney's Aladdin, who is far from an evil spirit. This and many other tales were inspired by the Arabic text 1001 Nights a collection of Middle Eastern folk tales from the 8th to the 14th century. For many of these tales their source of origin is unknown, but there are numerous influences from Arabic, Persian and Greek to Indian, Turkish and Chinese. 
so it's an amalgamation of cultures from basically everywhere. In English it's also commonly referred to as the Arabian Nights. Here the jinn make an appearance in a number of different stories, the most noticeable being Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp. In this story, Aladdin isn't too different from the Disney variation, a young, mischievous, misguided lad who is found in the streets of a Chinese city by a sorcerer, who claims to be the brother of Aladdin's father, so his long-lost uncle. And no, before you ask, this man is not called Jafar. He claims to be Mustafa the Tailor. He convinces Aladdin and his mother that he only wants to help them, but first he needs a favour of course. Inside of a cave there is the most wonderful oil lamp in all the land. If Aladdin is able to retrieve it, he promises they will never be poor again. The cave however is magically booby trapped and dangerous enough that Mustafa himself would never dare to enter, but he does give Aladdin a magical ring for protection. Once inside, to no one's surprise, Mustafa double crosses Aladdin and leaves him trapped inside the cave. In despair of his situation, Aladdin begins to rub his hands. In doing so, he accidentally rubs the ring, and to his surprise, out pops a jinn, or genie. Aladdin returns home to his mother with a magical ring, a jinn, and a wonderful lamp. His mother decides maybe they should sell the lamp in order to afford food, and as she begins wiping it down, out pops a second jinn, much more powerful than the first. With help from this jinn, Aladdin becomes extremely rich and marries the Sultan's daughter. Hearing of Aladdin's meteoric rise, Mustafa makes his return, knowing only the lamp could have caused this much good fortune. He tricks Aladdin's wife into giving him the lamp, and his first command, or wish, is to take the palace and everything inside of it back to his home. When Aladdin returns, he does the only thing he can, he summons the first genie from the ring. He tells Aladdin that he cannot undo the magic of the second jinn, but he can send him to the palace. Once there, he kills Mustafa and returns his palace to its rightful place. This isn't how the story ends though. Mustafa's older brother vows to avenge his death. He transforms himself into an elderly woman and earns his way inside of Aladdin's palace by convincing his wife he has magical powers. The jinn in the lamp however sees through this disguise and alerts Aladdin of the imposter, who is then killed. Now we get the happy ending, where Aladdin eventually becomes Sultan and lives a happy, evil sorcerer-free life. When it comes to modern fiction, jinn and genie have been interpreted in a variety of ways. Some are indeed lesser gods, and others are magical entities summoned through the use of dark magic and witchcraft. One trope that has certainly stuck is being granted three wishes when you summon a genie. Now these wishes have a habit of going sideways, and I'm sure fans of the Wishmaster franchise will be more than familiar with a tricky jinn. The jinn have appeared in stories for thousands of years, and it's always interesting to see ideas from different cultures merge together and create new stories. Whether it's a race of invisible spirits at war, entities that live underground and punish humans, a boy in his magical lamp, or just classic Robin Williams, you can't really go wrong with a story of a djinn. Unless you're the one making the three wishes. Because in that case, I wish you the best of luck.
As always, I've been your host, Mythology and Fiction Explained.